I read comics show number 36. So the deal is, I was on vacation, and on my last day of vacation, I got really, really sick. And then I was sick for two weeks. And I'm just now getting back to 100%. Of course, since I was really sick for two weeks, my life kind of stopped. And now I have to catch up on not only doing podcasting, but everything else in my life that I didn't do while I was really, really, really sick. So apologies to people who to whom I didn't respond who had sent me email. I'm trying to catch up on that too. Anyway, while I was sick, uh, I did manage to do a sort of mini review with the Boy Wonder Logan, which I'm going to play in just a second. And then I'll, I'll come back at the end because there's something I found out um, that I want to add to our second review. Uh, and so hopefully you can enjoy that. And then for the episode after that, I had David Arroyo from Comic Makers as my special guest. And I'm going to post that pretty soon so you guys don't have to wait too long. I have been reading so much stuff. I have lots and lots and lots of things to review. Um, a lot of really different things. So I'm hoping that that'll all be enjoyable. And I have another Legion's story to talk about that I absolutely love and some wonderful scans of a Legion story in which there's cross-dressing. That is, the boys dressing in the girls' costumes. It's totally fucking awesome. So without further ado, let me bring you um, my my dynamic duo with Logan and then I'll be back at the end with just a little bit more. Well, we're in our makeshift studio, <laughs> and because I'm feeling crappy still, and it's still hard for me to talk, um, joining me is the boy wonder, Logan, and we have two really interesting things we're going to talk about. The first one uh, is somewhat shorter than the other, and this is a book called Superman, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. This came from the uh, what we're now calling the David Arroyo stash, <laughs> since it's one of many things that um, he's passed along to me. And this was a uh, this is a trade paperback version, which was published in um, 1986. And it was a special several issues of Superman written by Alan Moore with art by um, Kurt Swan and George Perez. And it was to celebrate the fact that it was the end of the traditional Superman run before it got turned over to John Byrne and things started being different. So there's a long introduction that tells you about why this was so special. But... Um, I, I wanted to get Logan's reaction to it because he's less of a fan of the Silver Age stuff than I am and probably knows a little bit less about it, but you're you're much more knowledgeable about like the later Superman right. stuff than I am. So um, I, I told you a little bit about what I thought about this. What did you think about this? Uh, I thought it was okay. You know, I, it was a little, a little tedious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was amused that it was set in the 1990s or, or something like that, and uh, Lois was dressed futuristic. Yeah, she has a futuristic outfit, and they have the little coffee maker that's like right. a bubble thing. Right. Very Star Trek. Um, it was interesting that the way they decided to start killing off, in a way, his villains. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess they mostly just went crazy and turned... Instead, For the first time, they went... 
that was another uh, interesting thing I saw was that for the first time, or he even comments that the, his villains go from just being pests mm-hmm. to actually being murderous. And that's something that's far more common after the Silver Age, mm-hmm. right? Is that villains actually set out to murder people right, as right. opposed to just gaining power. Yeah, that's and, true. That's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Um, so I, th- I th- thought that was uh, an interesting uh, thing portrayed. I, I didn't remember Kryptonite Man. I didn't remember Kryptonite Man either. But they, but they, <laughs> I mean, he's presented as if, like, oh, here's another one of Superman's Famous villain, yeah. It's like, like <laughs> um, the The thing that, that I found a little disappointing, so in general, I thought this this was good, and it was it was interesting, and of course, you know, many of the loose ends get wrapped up, but to me, it felt um, very um, planned mm-hmm. and completely non-spontaneous. Like, yeah. as soon as this story starts and Superman is having all these omens about bad things happening, you know everybody's going to die. <laughs> like, you know it's going to end in tragedy and disaster. And it's it's like, you know, a Greek tragedy where you know that what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there was not a lot of suspense for me because I figured most people except Lois Lane were going to die. Mm-hmm. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> I think that... Um that I, th- I found it interesting that uh, the the Legion comes back. Mm-hmm. actually got a little confusing for me. And maybe the Legion <laughs> is always confusing because they're always coming from the future and not really willing to give out, you know, what's actually mm-hmm. going to happen or how it's going to happen. But it was, it was, they're presenting him some award that he then carries around with him <laughs> everywhere he goes for the next two days. Like it was his Oscar. <laughs> totally. A little gold statuette with him holding something something which you know ends up being some uh saving the the phantom zone thing right right. but it was so bizarre (laughs) and then they brought supergirl with them and supergirl came back went from the past to go visit them in the future Mm -hmm. and then they brought her with them to superman's present in which supergirl was dead right i didn't know any of that so i was very confused yeah that time travel stuff, boy, that's really confusing. It's not done well, <laughs> definitely. I, I have to say, you just turned past it. Um, one of my favorite things is the slap that. Uh, oh yeah. That Lana Lane, when she imbues herself with powers, uh, she she gives Lex Luthor a mighty whack yeah. and kills him. Yeah, breaks his neck right there. That was pretty cool. I, yeah. I did like that. That was probably the best uh, fighting. Yeah, um, not a lot of action in no. this, um, really. I mean, there's that right there. Um, there's the scene where Crypto attacks um, Kryptonite Man, which yeah. was good also, and unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. And then, you know, Superman gets a little berserk at the end because um, somebody's dead. I don't want to give away every single thing. Um, but I was... So we were talking a little bit about the end here. At the very end of the story, Superman decides that um, he doesn't want to be Superman anymore, essentially. And he goes into this room that says, Gold Kryptonite Sample Storage Chamber Keep Out. And Lois says, I never saw Superman again. Um, And it says, They found me outside the locked gold kryptonite chamber weeping. When Superwoman and Captain Marvel ripped the vault open, it was empty. He was gone. They discovered a hidden passageway leading out of the fortress, and it was finally concluded he'd walked out powerless into the sub-zero wastes to freeze. They never found his body. Wasn't Superwoman dead? Well, this is a different... Oh, the different... It's a different character. With brown hair. (laughs) With brown hair and a mask. It's like totally minor character, different. I I don't even know why she's in this thing. (laughs) I mean, at least they do show you some of the other people who are here. Like there's Hawkman and Batman and um, 
I saw Green Arrow standing mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. along with some other folks there. But Shazam um, was in yeah, right. In yep, Captain Marvel was there. So um, if you haven't read the ending, we'll give away the ending. It turns out. Well, what you're supposed to think, I think, is that Superman lost his powers and now he's married to Lois. Oh, is that who this guy so is? So that's who this guy is, right? I see. Okay. And um, they have a baby, and the baby has superpowers, mm-hmm. which you see in one of the last panels when he grabs a piece of coal and turns it into a diamond. <laughs> a piece just of like, coal that just happens to be <laughs> sitting in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> Convenient coal. But I, this, I thought this was actually kind of cute because yeah. this was a like an old school Superman thing where he would Mm -hmm. show his superpowers by turning coal into diamonds all the time. Um, And his name, it took me a while to figure it out, (coughs) but his name is Jordan Elliott. Jor-El. Jor-El, yeah. But, so two questions. One is, did he really lose his powers? I mean, was the gold kryptonite thing just a big fake? I don't know. I think that was another interesting thing that I wasn't prepared for uh, and had to remember was that Back in the day, in the Silver Age Superman, there were always, um, and there were all these different kryptonites, right? right? And you go on Wikipedia and look them up, and <laughs> it's just like there's pink kryptonite, and gold kryptonite, and silver kryptonite, and rainbow kryptonite. <laughs> Literally, rainbow I know, kryptonite. I know, all kinds. And um, it's not really, maybe they, maybe they still exist in the current incarnation, but they don't use, I mean, it's green. Mm-hmm. Green kryptonite is his weakness. Um, so gold, I had to think for a minute, what was it? And you just, I just had to read forward mm-hmm. to when Lois says what happened to him. But, she, you know, she does imply that he walked out and froze in the, in the, uh, in the, in the snow and they never found him. I'm thinking, how is it possible that the Justice League doesn't find a guy? Exactly. Out? Yeah. So, so then, okay, so then you think, okay, maybe he did get depowered and he was there, in which case the Justice League has to be in on this whole thing. Right. Because they would be the only people who could have gotten him out of the Arctic, yep. right? Yeah. Unless he didn't get depowered and he right. he just flew decided away. he flew away and he decided to be that. So that's the other question that I have is if he really get depowered, if he was, how come the baby has superpowers? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there might be some DNA explanation. Well, or that's what David but... said because I, I, I said <laughs> that very same thing, and he said, "Oh, it's he's got half Kryptonian DNA," but. Is that really the way it works? Who knows? <laughs> so it kind of got me thinking about the whole Krypton, yeah. yellow sun. I mean, <clears throat> I understand that it's radiation from the yellow sun that makes people super, mm-hmm. but is it their DNA or is it just something in their no, body? No, I'm assuming cells? it's the DNA in their cells, right? That that the radiation affects it and causes the makes cells. Them super. To, yeah. Remember uh, in the in the movie, I think in the movie or maybe it was another Superman thing I recently read talks about how something like his skin will be harder and, and mm. his heart will be faster. Some of the, all these things that it talks about how the radiation will affect him. Mm. I think it's the movie. It's, I don't remember. Just, you know, I don't remember either. But I, one one thing that I thought as I read this was, you know, he died a much better death when he fought Doomsday. <laughs> At least that one, he went out fighting. This one, yeah, he he just, yeah. I mean, I I think you're right. That that bothered me about this too. Is that it ended not with a bang, but with a whimper. You Mm -hmm. know, he just sort of said, "Well, I I broke a rule, and now I have to, you know, 
off right. myself or whatever. Right. So it, it and and although it did end, you know, with the the classic Superman wink at the end here, which is you know amusing. Um, I don't know. I felt like this was hyped an awful lot. I remember reading about this in different mm. places, like, oh, it was so good, and it's Alan Moore. And, and I read it, I, was, I, I felt like you did. It was like, it was okay. Yeah. It didn't really jazz me. It wasn't great, and it didn't thrill me like some other things did. Right. I agree. I, I definitely had the same reaction. wasn't wowed. I was... One piece that I thought they did well was when they killed Brainiac. Uh... And the force field doesn't go down. Or no, they, uh, sorry, they blow up the generator. Mm-hmm. And the force field doesn't go down. And, and Brainiac says, how come it didn't go down? I don't know. It just must be, I'm, I'm destined to succeed or destined to be mm-hmm. a Superman. That definitely was an interesting foreshadowing and, and big question mark. Like, mm-hmm. well, why didn't that happen? Mm-hmm. And it led, you know, to the presentation of the, the actual villain, which was nicely done. I yeah, I, I thought so too. And it was nice the way he, um, Alan Moore tied all of the villains together sort mm-hmm. of sequentially, mm-hmm. which was good too. Um, and, and I thought, you know, the art was very good. I, I like the way the villains were drawn and um, it, the art itself, of course, has a lot of beautiful action and mm-hmm. interior. The Fortress of Solitude really looks like mm-hmm. the way you think the fortress is going to look. That's so funny though, I think carrying around his little Oscar. <laughs> it just makes me laugh. Um, okay, good. Well, I really wanted to talk about that, and I'm glad we got to do it, because <clears throat> I think you had more interesting things to say than I did. <laughs> now, let's talk about the main feature for today, which is the Devin Grayson novel, Inheritance, which has been getting all kinds of um, press and, and reviews and people shouting and screaming about it on the web, because um, it's basically fan fiction that's slash. Right. <laughs> Printed by DC. Printed by DC, <laughs> absolutely. I couldn't actually believe, as I got into it, and some of the uh, questionable uh, sexuality issues came up, that DC printed it. It's, it doesn't seem it's like It's amazing. It's but amazing. She's, a, she's a writer that does a lot of the Batman mm-hmm. stuff for them. So this is you know not like a one-off from her. She does quite a bit. So I assume that she had some leverage there to... But, but still. But didn't they read it? <laughs> that's what I, I was know. wondering. I think that's what everybody was wondering. Um, so so for people who haven't read this, this is a book set in the DC Universe, and it's about um, Batman, Green Arrow, and Aquaman, and their three uh, young wards. Mm-hmm. And there's a plot, and stuff happens. But the plot's actually not very interesting. The plot is awful. <laughs> it's so boring. And apparently <clears throat> there was... In in the DC universe, there is a country called Karak. Mm-hmm. Uh, there 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 was this thing that Cheshire did that you know she detonated an atomic bomb mm-hmm. or something. So so all this stuff happened, but then for them to build a story off of that about the the future the the president who takes over after the devastation and and his son and his son's cousin and oh my god so <laughs> boring and the whole what first. 30, 40 pages are yeah, about that. Quite a while. And yeah, then, it's even more than that. Yeah, 37, just, 40. Right. It's so boring. And yeah, so so there is a plot. It's not a very good plot. No. And it's, at the end, it gets far more complicated than it needs to be with yeah. different levels of intrigue and who's really telling the truth. And, and there's stuff that didn't make sense at all, like <clears throat> um, the guy who almost gets killed at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is what sets the plot in motion, turns out at the end... Um, to have done all this stuff that you had no idea about, even though we've been seeing things from his point of view right from the beginning of the book. And it's like, okay, you can't really do that. Right. <clears throat> when you're writing a book, if something is from a character's point of view and that character is withholding information from you, the reader, yeah. 
it stops being believable. Correct. I mean, you just, it's not a technique that actually works. Well, and that's one of the things that I thought was weak, a weak part of the writing was that it did shift from character to character's mm-hmm. perce- perspective, which is, is okay to, to do, but they didn't, uh, she didn't do it particularly well. So it shifted from Rashid to, I can't remember the son. The Debeer. Debeer to the president mm-hmm. uh, to Batman to Nightwing to, Oof. I mean, to all these people. Uh, and, and I felt like she got the, the, the DC heroes right. Mm-hmm. So seeing how Batman would respond and his gruffness uh, to Nightwing's zeal to uh, impress Batman, all of these things and their thought processes were captured rather well. But it was the the other characters that were the, the focus of the plot mm-hmm. that were horribly done. Yeah, just not, and not interesting characters no. either. I mean, despite the fact that there's actually a story um, and that the characters could be interesting if they were written better. Right. I mean, actually, the most interesting character in here isn't even in the book. He's, he's a tertiary character, and that's <clears throat> Debeer's older brother, mm-hmm. um, who everybody talks about, and yep. he has been killed off screen in the, the right. bombing. And... Um, I really wanted to know more about him because he seemed like he had his fingers in everything and he mm-hmm. was the heir apparent and he was going to be in charge of everything. And, of course, he's dead, so we don't know about him. But right. I would have liked to have seen him. So I think that um, <clears throat> what I wrote in my review, or I mentioned in my review, is that you've got these three pretty major heroes, you, two of them who are, who are mortal. So you've got Batman and mm-hmm. Green Arrow, and then you've got Aquaman, who uh, is the only super-powered one, if you will. Uh, and they're, they're three sidekicks who make a pretty good team, mm-hmm. a pretty powerful team. And all they're put up against, really, I guess they go up against Cheshire, who has no special powers of her own. No. She's also mortal. Mm-hmm. And, and Deathstroke, who does have powers. He's been in, um, military tested and pumped full of chemicals. <laughs> but really, that's it. And then they're just mostly up against humans. Yeah. Which doesn't Im- is not impressive. It th- didn't impress me. If you're going to put these six characters together, put them up against a real villain or several villains or a team of villains, yeah. a, a network of villains, and make it. And really, it turned out Deathstroke wasn't bad. He was actually right. trying to lead them to the actual exactly, answer. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Cheshire gave up the, the information too. To right, like pretty early on in the book. Yeah. <laughs> so she, you know, I, I just felt that there wasn't a clear uh, supervillain, and because of that, it, it just kind of fell flat for me. I agree. So I think the, the conclusion that we learned from all this is that Devin Grayson really just wanted to write a book where she could spend hundreds of pages on the Slash stuff and on um, the totally screwed up backgrounds of each of the, the three younger guys. Right. Because there are many, many pages talking about the screwed up backgrounds Probably, of those guys. I think Arsenal t- got the, the, most. the most attention. Yeah. And he was the character I knew least about, so mm-hmm. that was nice. Um, Tempest got almost none. Yeah. And, and Nightwing got it you know, in between. <laughs> what I told you is I, I think that the the conclusion for me uh, was the Devin Grayson thinks Green Arrow is a big gay homosexual. Like, <laughs> it's true. I mean, it, it starts off in the very beginning when Batman gives him a call and he's in a bar and he gives a, the handsome, muscular, blonde <laughs> w- bartender a roguish smile. It's like, are you kidding me? Like, And that, that just sets the stage for... Totally. Every time that it's it's Arsenal or uh, Nightwing or Tempest, Green Arrow is cracking some comment about how sexy they are mm-hmm. or whatever. It's just very bizarre. I, I good, I guess. <laughs> but I guess I think that um, 
that's the only real reason to read the book is for these dozen or so mentions of Green Arrow's homosexuality, even though it does go on and on in the backstory about how he and Black Canary were dating. Yep, but right. it does talk about how he and Hal Jordan disappear for, for several months. months. Yep. Uh, Definitely. Without any explanation of what they're doing or yeah. where they're going. Well, I totally wanted to thank you for dog-earing all the good parts, because <laughs> that just made it so much easier to find them. Right. But um, just for people who haven't read this book, and if you haven't read the excerpts online, here's a few good ones. Um, so, let's see. Uh, Aquaman is walking with Green That's Arrow. The best one. Yeah, Aquaman's walking with Green Arrow, and uh, Nightwing and Arsenal are kind of trailing behind them. And Green Arrow says, Your boy's looking good, he commented. Both because it was true and because he was making an effort... Oh, sorry, Aquaman says that. He was making an effort to honor the role he had assumed as Green Arrow's chief entertainment. And then Ollie replies, Yeah, he is, isn't he? That kid's always been a looker. They all are. No wonder people like to speculate. Arthur frowned slightly as Ollie laughed. I meant he looked healthy, Arthur clarified. Oh, yeah, Ollie was undaunted. I mean the hero sidekick thing, how everyone assumes we're doing dirty things with these gorgeous kids. Arthur used his most regally authoritative voice to cut his friend off. I know what you meant. <laughs> you never got that as much. Guess the whole bre- breathing underwater thing is freaky enough. But bats, man, well, look at that kid. No wonder. <laughs> <laughs> he, he goes on. It's so funny that right then and there he kind of calls out how hot Nightwing is. Mm-hmm. And Devin Grayson herself, in referring to Nightwing, talks about how beautiful his baby blue always, eyes are. Always. But what's funny is Nightwing then gets paired up with... Uh, Green Arrow mm-hmm. in this thing, and the Green Arrow cannot stop talking about how sexy Nightwing is. And there's the one, my favorite part, and it was so subtle, was when um, uh, Nightwing is driving the the I don't even know what he calls it the oh, the night bike the I night think. bike or something, and uh, they're about to make a sharp turn, and it says uh, here it is. Ollie was surprised to feel Nightwing's gloved hand cup his knee. Couldn't I just like is is this really written here? Like I couldn't believe. I know. I I remember when I was reading that, and it's such a. um, I mean, she's obviously written that line so deliberately. It could have been written in so many other ways, like like Nightwing grabbed his leg or to keep him from falling off the bike. But no, he cupped his his gloved hand. Cupped cupped his his knee. knee. So here's another really good section. This is a little S and M. So let's see. They're in the. They've just had a bar fight. And uh, they're waiting for somebody to show up, and you can guess who it is. Um, Arsenal leaned forward across the bar to refill his glass from the tap, and Nightwing was just about to hop back over the counter and try and determine if anyone was still conscious when he felt a presence obliterate the space immediately behind him. Simultaneously, Roy's beer glass hit the rubber mat behind the bar with a soft thud. For just one fraction of a second, Nightwing closed his eyes and exhaled in time with a hot release of breath on the back of his neck sinking his breathing to the presence behind him almost instinctively. Even after all these years, the strange feeling of protective danger that ran up the back of his spine when he unexpectedly found himself in his mentor's shadow thrilled and overwhelmed him. I forgot about that one. Um, just, there are no words. I, it's amazing that she got away with writing this stuff. I can't believe that. It's so funny. It, it was just cracking me up. So funny. Um, so I have to say, I thought the the technique that she used of pairing up 
Nightwing with Green Arrow and Arsenal with Batman was really good mm -hmm. because it gave you a chance to see them out of their element and yeah. really in contrast to those guys. That was great. Mm -hmm. um, really, really smart to do that. And uh, it was good for her to recap, especially with Arsenal, a lot of the stuff that had happened because this was all Silver Age. And I meant to ask you if you had ever read those issues of Green Lantern where they go on the trip and they come back and find Speedy on, on heroin and all that. No, I hadn't. I, I have read some of the issues where Green Lantern and, and Green Arrow are out doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And then more recently, the new, it's when, uh, sorry, Green, the new Green uh, Lantern and Flash and Green Arrow go on a trip. You know, it's like Wally West and uh, uh, Kyle Rayner and, and Green Arrow, which is funny because uh, Green Arrow is so much older than them at the time. Mm -hmm. But they all kind of go on a cruise and get into hijinks, which is a throwback to the, the time when mm -hmm. Hal Jordan and Oliver go out. But uh, I, I hadn't read any of the coming back to find mm -hmm. the, to find uh, Arsenal on, or Speedy on Yeah, drugs. I know. I, I keep calling him Speedy. Um I have those, and I'll try and find them and lend them to you. But she did a really good job, because I remember this particular issue so clearly. The artwork was Neil Adams, and it's so good. But she did a great job of translating what was in that issue into um, text. And I just wanted to read this section, because if anybody who's listening has ever read that issue, you will know exactly what happens. So this is when... Um, Hal and Ollie have gone to try to find the drug dealer, and then Speedy shows up to try and save them, and um, they accidentally get dosed with heroin. So Speedy says to is trying to get Hal to um, save them with his ring, and he says, I bet you can't make the ring work, he taunted, trying to goad Hal into action. Hal protested blearily and pointed his ring at the far wall. As Roy understood it, the alien gift was powered by Hal's imagination, forming intangible green light, anything Hal could visualize. And there, at least 40 feet tall, a new green lantern shimmered into being, this version sickened by the heroine, twisted and hideous, a slavering, hungry monster that grabbed Hal and Roy and the still unconscious Ollie in his disfigured gloves, intent on devouring everything in its path. Roy was transfixed by the image, recognizing his own incurable famine in Hal's manifested inner demon. And I, I, like, I have it in my mind exactly what that looked like, and that's a really great description of what happened in that story. Hmm. Um, and, and then everything else that happened is you know, the way it happened in the comic book. So that, that was great. I'm glad she resurrected that and introduced that to some new readers who might not have been familiar with that storyline, because it's a very powerful one. Yeah. Despite all the preachiness, I mean, Hal is just so preachy and boring, as right. he is in this book. Right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. What I found interesting was that the, that the way that Nightwing and Arsenal dealt so differently with the, uh, it's not indifference, because Bat, well, it is, uh, indifference that they were shown by their mentors mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as they aged. Uh, Nightwings, I, I think that Batman wasn't indifferent, but he showed indifference. Mm -hmm. um, Green Arrow was just indifferent. <laughs> <laughs> he was too much of a playboy player to uh, yep. actually care too much about Speedy. And it, it sent him down this horrible path. Maybe that's the thing, is Batman always had this... Uh, this lock on on Nightwing, just always giving him the orders. And I, what was the story about why when he kicked Nightwing out? I forget. Oh, it was all about um, Catwoman and. Oh right. Yeah. But uh, it was time for him to go anyway. <laughs> it was time for him to go. But that's interesting that the way that they broke up was over a girl. Mm -hmm. uh, and <laughs> <laughs> given everything else. Yeah. But I, I really liked seeing the backstory of Arsenal mm -hmm. highlighted so well. Yeah, it was good. And it's the first one that's in here. So it goes Arsenal, Nightwing, and Tempest. And unfortunately, um, the Tempest story, I, I think, gets sort of short shrift here. Yeah, he does. And it's a very complicated backstory because... Right. 
of who he was and who he turned out to be and all the things that happened and then him being in Teen Titans and right. Well, it's, it's interesting. I had to go on Wikipedia. I don't know <laughs> a lot about Tempest slash Aqualad, and I had to find out what this whole purple eye thing was. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel she did, she talks about the origins of Arsenal and Nightwing so clearly. She goes all the way through how um, Dick Grayson witnesses his parents' death and how he knew who the person who was um, that did it. And then she talks about Arsenal and how he was on an Indian reservation and how mm-hmm. he came to be there and how he came to be in Green Arrow's um, custody. But but Tempest, while we get some of the backstory, the details aren't there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, she just alludes to the uh, purple-eyed thing and how it was a... Uh, people had a... I guess the prejudice against the prejudice, it, yeah. but it's like why? And so I had to actually go on Wikipedia yeah. and find that out. Uh, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. I, I think it, there could have been a lot more, and maybe it was because maybe she did write more and it just got cut. That's quite possible. It was getting pretty long. Yeah, and it's right towards the end of the book where the yeah. plot's actually happening, right. and they need to wrap something up. Um, I, I wanted to read one other little section though because um, I don't know whether she meant this or not, but it sure read a certain way to me. So this is back of the Arsenal story um, when. Um, Dinah comes back and says, where are they? And, and Speedy says, I don't know. <laughs> They're gone. And she says, well, I'm going to have to go find them. And then he says to her, um, well, you know, you could just stay here in Ollie's apartment if you want to. And she says, are you hitting on me, Roy? She demanded one corner of her lipstick-stained mouth curling up mischievously. To do so had hardly even occurred to Roy, yet suddenly it sounded like a good idea, like maybe the best idea anyone had ever had. He's actually going through withdrawal at this point, mm-hmm. so he's not too clear about his thoughts. He shook his head no, but continued staring at her, trying to imagine what she'd look like without her clothes on, how warm she might feel. If he couldn't get Ollie back, and if he couldn't make Dinah stay, was there some other way not to feel so alone? Next paragraph. Dinah left less than an hour later. Oh, interesting. (laughs) I mean, did they just fuck? I don't know. I hadn't caught that, but that's interesting. So I was like, wait a minute. I I don't know. It's not mentioned again, but boy, it sure reads that way to me. (laughs) <laughs> and and you know I normally wouldn't think something like that, but right. given all the other right. high high subtext, not yeah. even subtext, but text, uh, sexual stuff that's going on here, it was my my first impression. For that I did like bit. Dinah's character. In she this. was good. She, yeah, she held when when uh, Green Arrow kicked Speedy <clears throat> out. Uh, she took him in. Yeah, and really held him and wouldn't let him just go out on his own and things. And, and that was nice. Yeah, because uh, that's what he needed. He needed because Green Arrow never provided it. He needed uh, just an adult's attention. And I thought that was really nice that yeah. they, they wrote Dinah, Dinah in that way. Yep, she's, she's good. She really comes alive in here. Um, I think one, one thing that's not quite right about the three of them, about Tempest and, and Nightwing and Arsenal, is that they're written a little young yeah. for how old they're supposed to be in this book. Like, their emotional state seems to be more like still 15 or 16 when they're actually, what, in their early 20s. Yeah, but I thought... I, I thought that, that was actually the point, is that okay. they, because they had these these mentors, these older men uh, to, to look up to and constantly crave their affection and attention, and never really got it, mm. uh, they never really developed. They're, they were always still left in that same <clears throat> pubescent teenage years era feeling where the, all they needed was just to feel like they're... Uh, like validated. They're valid, yeah. right, validation, and... They're still searching for that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's kind of a showdown, not a showdown, but a showdown of words with um, Green Arrow and Arsenal. And I don't exactly remember what came of that, 
except that it seemed like for a half second Green Arrow might have actually might have sunk in that he wasn't the best mentor ever. Um, but I did like to see I did like it how the three young wards seemed to be really close, and I'm mm-hmm. sure the Teen Titans they didn't go into much of the Teen Titans except in Tempest backstory. But it was clear that Nightwing was very excited when Arsenal mm-hmm. showed up, and that that when Garth didn't show up that that he was going to be brought in uh, to the team. That was nice to see that in the midst of their individual uh, loneliness that they found each other, mm-hmm. all of these wards, these sidekicks, and and found a family that way. Yeah, yeah that was good. I, I think you're probably right about the, the emotional thing. That that makes sense. Um, so I, after reading um, this, I, I can pretty much say that um, this is a work of fan fiction. Yes. And it has all of the good things and the bad things that fan fiction has. Um, the good things is that the characters in the DC universe are written really well. Mm-hmm. They're very vivid. Um, and they are the center of attention no matter what they're doing. The bad things is that um, it's totally overwritten. I mean, there's like way too many adverbs and really extreme descriptions. Like you were saying, mm-hmm. Nightwing is always being described in terms of his, you know, amazing blue eyes <laughs> and beautiful hair and skin. You know, it's just like way, way too much. Um, and there are other sections, especially the sections that have to do with the plot that are just really badly written. I mean, just bad. So, you know, you wonder, do they have editors anymore at... Uh, Warner Books. <laughs> I'm looking at this side. Who publishes Warner Books? Publishes this. It doesn't seem like they have editors who really care too much about the quality of the writing, or maybe right. it doesn't matter. Maybe it doesn't. It's People just buy it. God knows I've read enough Star Trek novels that are horrible. I right. mean, they're just really badly written, as if no editor has ever even looked at that to correct the spelling. The uh, much like the Star Trek X Men one. We yes, read. <laughs> just not good. <laughs> Pretty much not good. Um, so I think we could definitely recommend this book to people who want to read Slash about the Stacey characters. Right. <laughs> A gay Slash. Uh, and really, it's not even that all of them are gay. It's just that Green yeah. Arrow is so flamboyant. He is. And I think that was maybe the the attempt was to make him just seem flamboyant. Not mm-hmm. straight or gay, just flamboyant. But mm-hmm. it came off with him constantly hitting on Nightwing. Yeah. And... Just making cracks left and right yeah. all over the place. There is a, a really nice um, het scene between um, Arsenal and uh, Cheshire, yeah. which is really good. And it's really sweet, actually. I like the way she's written that. Um, you know, they, they have this relationship outside of the bounds of society because he's a good guy and she's a bad guy. And they can only get together, you know, in this no man's land. Interesting that they then paired Arsenal up with Batman to go on that mission mm-hmm. when Batman, also the one who fell in love with the uh, villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. I, I thought it was really good. Oh, okay, anything else you want to say about this? No, I, definitely you can skip most of the parts about <laughs> the Karak plot. Uh, uninteresting, unimportant, really. Just read the parts that are about the sidekicks and the heroes and their mm-hmm. backstories. That's the only reason. That'll be good, and it's it. easy to find those parts. And the other thing I learned besides the fact that um, Green Arrow is a, a big homo is that he really likes chili. <laughs> right. so it's mentioned like five times it's in here. It's true, I forgot about like that. <laughs> so for what that's worth, I don't know. I barely remember recording that. Apologies for the incoherentness of it and the ramblingness of it. I wasn't doing a very good job of keeping us on topic. But that's okay. It was sort of fun. I just re-listened to it for the first time since I recorded it like a week and a half ago. So there you have it. Um, here's the interesting thing that I wanted to 
add to the end of it. When we recorded that show, I hadn't quite finished the book, but I had just finished it today. And at the very end, there's a, uh, a ship that comes in from Karak, and it's called the Hijra, H-I-J-R-A. And when I saw that, I said to myself, I know that word. I've seen that word before. So, of course, I had to look it up in Wikipedia. And it's an Arabic word, which means migration, which I guess would be um, appropriate for a ship that has to travel long distances. But I knew that word from somewhere else. And as soon as I looked it up in Wikipedia, I was like, of course, of course. So the word hijra in South Asia, specifically in India, is a word for a class of people who are called the third gender um, the third sex, neither men nor women. I'm going to read this a little bit. Men, are, most are physically male or intersex, but some are female. Hijras usually refer to themselves as female at the language level and usually dress as women. Um, and they have a very special place in Indian society. Um, they sometimes, to support themselves, have to hire themselves out as prostitutes, but they're a very interesting um, class of person, and the reason I knew about them is because when I was in graduate school, a friend of mine actually went and lived in India and did a very extensive report on the kinds of language that they used, because we were in linguistics. And I just wonder if Devin Grayson knew that, knew about that meaning when she decided to name that ship and whether it was just another joke about it. I don't know. Anyway, so that's one of the meanings of the word hijra. Um, okay, so the usual stuff at the close, um, oh, you know, Logan mentioned that he had written a review of Inheritance, and it's over at, uh, the Journal of the Lincoln Heights Literary Society, where I, I still once in a while write something, so I'll put in a link to his review. He's been reviewing a lot of stuff lately, quite the reviewing machine, and they are a proud sponsor of this show, um, as is Comic Relief in Berkeley, so please go and shop there for all your comic needs. Don't forget about the Women Comics Podcaster Grant, if you are a woman or you know a woman who'd like to do a comics podcast uh you know apply for this grant because we'll give you um you know basically free hosting for your files and help from me to get your podcast up and running and the deadline for that is uh in october sometime and i can't quite remember it but there's a link up at my site and also at uh, lincoln heights literary society so don't forget about all those things. And I'm going to close with a slightly different piece of music from the fabulous composing diva, Ginger Mayerson. And this is um, part of her instrumental musical, I don't want to say accompaniment, I would say interpretation of a great work by Bruno Schultz called Street of Crocodiles. And this is one of the movements. And um, I may play more of this because I really like it. And if you have a chance to read this book called Street of Crocodiles, I highly recommend it. It's hard to read, but it's really good. And uh, I'll be back really soon, really soon, with another show. <laughs> 